tonight I want to talk a little bit about invaluable helps in making right decisions. Invaluable helps in making right decisions. Recently, within the last, I guess it's six months or so, I think that's the time frame, we came to a dilemma with my eyes. Actually, let's see, six months, no, it's longer than that. We came to an interesting dilemma with my eyes. I have an issue with a prism, they call it prism problem or triangulation with my eyes. And I think I've shared it with you before, but if I take my glasses off, let's say here's Bonnie here. If I see her, there's one Bonnie. But if I take my glasses off, I'll see two of her like this. And everybody would be, be double if I, take, if I put them on. It's this way. But now there's enough differences going on in my eyes to where my eyes were getting very irritated and, and they would try different things with it and trying to get it right. And it was just to where, now this is not working. They get the prescription, you have them, and then you can't read the road signs and that's not right and this isn't right. And then if you get that right, then up close is not right. And so what am I going to do? Well, they suggested, well, look, seeing you uh, work at a at looking, staring at a computer monitor for several hours a day, uh, what we're recommending for you is to get computer glasses. And so these, now these glasses, they emphasize it, and I'm glad. They said these are only to be used on the computer. Don't try to use them the rest of the time. I said, so let me get this right. You're telling me I have to have two pairs of glasses, not wear them at the same time, but I have to have two pairs of glasses. They said, well, you don't have to, but this is what we're recommending to you. And so I went ahead and I got that pair. They are specifically designed for working approximately 24 inches away from a computer monitor. That's what they're made for. And so they say, do you sit about arm's length from your monitor? I said, yes. They said, okay, that's perfect. That's exactly what you want. So they went ahead and they got them. I didn't know what difference they would make, but when I put them on in front of the computer monitor, I was amazed that I could see the pixels in each character on my screen. I mean, these things are amazing. Not only that, but the screen seemed brighter. And what I find is that if I am doing intense work, intense work, what it does is you don't know it, but if things aren't right, then, of course, it affects your eyes are not only straining, but your muscles in your neck are straining. That, for me, leads to upper back pain, which really gets to be bothersome. So anyways, I'm not asking you to play a violin for me tonight in uh, sorrow or compassion or whatever. But what I am saying, though, is... I'm amazed having the right tools, having the right ways to where I can actually see and see clearly and be benefited from it. I think there's three big areas of the Christian life that we need to be able to, well, let me put it this way. We need to embrace these very seriously. Think about these things and be committed to these issues tonight. And that's what we are looking on. We must be able to focus accurately on the issues before us if we are going to make the right decisions that we face. Now, it's very interesting. I thought a lot about the order of these things. And the first one in my mind, there's no arguing against it. And it is this. We need to have number one, number one, number one, above all else. We need to have a proper view of the Bible. 
We have to have a proper view of the Bible. This is a presupposition for us. It's something that has to be locked in. We need to be convinced of this. And that's why it says in Psalm 119, 128, one of my favorite verses, therefore I esteem, consider, therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Coming to the point to where we understand the Bible is the word of God. It is infallible. It is accurate. It's not sometimes accurate. It is always accurate. Obviously, as long as it's translated properly, it is always accurate. What we have in our King James Bible is an extremely accurate translation of the Scripture. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. The Bible is always right. Now, I've been a Christian for over 50 years. For almost all of those 50 years, I would say 49, maybe a little bit more than, more than the 49 years, I have been studying the Word of God. I am just as excited today about studying the Scriptures as I was when I first opened it up and started reading it. Just as excited from the first message I heard the night I got saved or the following Sunday, a few days later, hearing the Word of God preached and taught and opening it up and understanding, I'm just as excited to learn it today as then. You might say, well, has it caused you to have any doubts? No, to the contrary. I have more faith and more confidence in this book being the Word of God than I have ever had in my entire life. No question, it's the Word of God. Now, here's the thing with kids. And by the way, you have junior high, high school kids. This is not a problem as long as you handle it right. They might say, well, we say it's the Word of God. How do I know it's the Word of God? How do I know I can believe it? That's where you take them. Don't be afraid of that. Don't say, well, you just believe it. You can trust me, just believe it. No, that's not, a, that's not, that's a good thing. That's moral, that's noble, but that's not the answer. Show them why it can be trusted. Show them the historical accuracy of of the Bible. Things that have been denied about the Word of God for years, more and more as time goes on. You know, archaeology is discovering, hey, you know what? There, There were people called Hittites. David was a real person. This place existed. Yes, the walls of Jericho fell down, just like the Bible says. We find all these things to be true. Now, folks, listen, the Bible's not true because we find it to be true. The Bible's true, and God has given us the privilege to discover that. It is the Word of God. It's not only historically accurate, it's scientifically accurate. The Bible is not a science book, but all the science that you find in the Bible is accurate facts, all right? The earth, suspended in space, held upon nothing. How did the Bible writers know that? There's no way for them to know that, that the wind travels in circuits. How did they know that the wind travels in circuits? That water, the oceans have their limits. How did they know that? What about the hydrological cycle with the rain and, and going, coming down and then going back up into the clouds and moving on and then over and over, all of these things? Do you know they're all in the Bible? The life of the flesh is in the blood. How did we know that? How do we know these things? These things are discovered centuries later or millennia later, and yet we have them in the Word of God. It's a supernatural book. It can only come from God. Listen, I haven't even touched on prophecy. 
The Bible is the only book of quote-unquote faith in the world that has accurate prophecy in it. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies have already been fulfilled, and the ones that haven't been fulfilled are being fulfilled right before our eyes. How can that be? It's because it's the Word of God. It's a supernatural book. This book, you know, when people say, well, how can you prove there's a God? I don't even mess with so much the logical aspects of it, although that's all good. I'm fine with that, cause and effect. And I'll go to cause and effect and use that with people. But you know what I love to do? I love to say, this is proof. There's, God exists. There's this, this is proof. Now, that's a different angle than you usually hear. But folks, if I can show people undisputable facts in Scripture that cannot be explained as originating with man— They have no choice but to say there must be God. The Bible is the word of God. Now, in light of our verse that we see, Psalm 119, 128, what should be our attitude towards the Bible? Here it is. We need to have a proper view of the Bible. And it is this. Lord, I esteem everything in the Bible to be right and true. And anything that disagrees with it, and I know some people cringe at this, but I simply believe what it says. Anybody that disagrees with it, I reject that. Anything that teaches against it, I reject that. So therefore, whatever it says, I embrace, and anything that disagrees with it, I reject it. You might say, well, is that a healthy perspective? It is. How do you know that? It's in the Bible. If the Bible is true, that's what I have to believe. If I am going to believe the Bible is true, then I have no other choice but to embrace what it says. If I don't embrace what it says, I don't believe what it says. I'm not believing it. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. How much wiggle room does that leave for? Zero. And by the way, folks, this verse is the best definition of biblical fundamentalism that there is in the Bible. This is a position of a true fundamental Bible-believing person. Now, I know in the days in which we live, fundamentalism, that term is come into disdain and all that. But a fundamentalist, true, a true fundamentalist, is somebody who simply believes that what it says is true, and what it says is good is good, and what it says is bad is bad. It proves to be the Word of God, and that is where we stand. Now, and by the way, people say, well, that's blind faith. No, it's not blind faith. I've given us tonight all kinds of reasons to believe it. If it's blind faith, it's only blind to the one who can't see it. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ the Savior, you're born again and the Holy Spirit comes to live within you and the Holy Spirit gives us the ability. He illumines our mind to gives us the ability to understand the Word of God. But folks, these things are true. The Bible proves itself to be true. So anything that disagrees with it must be rejected. Now, that's not just scientific facts. We are talking about issues of morality. We are talking about issues of sexuality. We are talking about issues of economics. We are talking about issues of creation, geography, topography. You name it. The Bible touches on all these things. We can know it to be true. People say, I can't believe in a six-day creation of the earth. Six literal days. I can't believe that. You don't believe God. 
Well, the word day means, no, the word day means day, 24-hour period. And you can go to, I mean, the, day, the word means day. But if you want proof of it, Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, that whole context there makes it clear that God meant days of 24-hour periods. Well, I don't see how he can do that. You're not God. You have a little God. Why couldn't God do it? He could have made the whole thing in a second if he wanted I think he created days for our benefit. Anyway, you have to have a proper view of the Bible. Now, here you go. This is why that's first. Because a proper view of the Bible will drive the other two things that are so important for us making right decisions. So, even before, here you go, proper view of the Bible. So when I say, hmm, what kind of people Let's say a, a young man, he's, he's in his teenage years and he starts thinking about, yeah, you know, one of these days maybe I'll get married and all that. So what are you going to base that on? How are you going to choose? Well, obviously the most beautiful girl I can get. No, no. It begins with the spirit, not with the flesh. It begins with the spirit. Is she born again? Is she dedicated to living for Christ? Now, it doesn't hurt if she looks nice too. But those first two are more important than the last one. But what does the world do? The world just flips it upside down and says what? No, the most important thing is the way they look. Yeah, look at the track record of the world operating on that principle. You see, folks, the Bible gives us the answers to these things. So we begin with the Bible. So we have to have a proper view of the Bible. But secondly, we need to have a proper view of God. What is the proper view of God? Well, obviously the issue of him being the almighty, all-knowing one and all that, but there's a different aspect. I'm talking about this personal level of this. And I want us to understand this, folks, tonight. Some of us have an easier time grasping this than others. The proper view of God, what is it? He loves you and he wants to bless you and wants you to succeed. Now, I'm not talking about Joel Osteen's success. I'm talking about biblical success. Your life counting. A proper view of God. He loves you and wants to bless you and have you succeed. When I trusted Christ as my Savior, I became a child of God. I have in heaven a perfect Father who has an everlasting love for me that never changes. Every time he looks at me, And everything he does in my life, he's doing it for my benefit, for his glory. But I know that he loves me. You might say, how do you know that? Do you have a feeling? No. Remember number one? Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. The Bible tells me God loves me. That's where you begin with this. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Proper view of God. Dr. Harry Ironside, the great theologian of the past, he used to say, he says, when I look up to heaven, I can rest assured that there's loving eyes looking back at me. 1 John 4, verse 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. How do I know that? Well, first the Bible tells me so, but God showed that. What did he do? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus came to be the satisfactory payment for my sin and your sin. And that is why he came and that is what he did on the cross. He died there, he paid for all of our sin and he rose from the grave. 
And he says, if we put our faith in him as our savior, he'll give us everlasting life. And the moment we trust in him, we become children of God. He then becomes our spiritual father. And the Bible says he loves us. He not only loves us, folks, he loves the whole world. Even those who aren't his children yet, he loves. How much does he love them? Infinitely. Because God is love. He infinitely loves them. Do you really believe that? I really do. I didn't say I understand it fully. I'm saying I believe it. Why? Because I esteem all his precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. So there's a proper view of the Bible, but there's also the proper view of God. You're in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Jump down to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Let me show you another verse on this. Look with me to Galatians chapter 4. Say, Pastor, there's just so much in the Bible I don't understand. It's okay. Remember, God gave it to us. His mind is superior. If everything is easy to understand, it would be not as significant. Listen, as a puny human being who has limited understanding and knowledge, I should wrestle with some passages of Scripture in some parts of the Bible, some concepts of the Bible. There's concepts in the Bible I still don't fully understand, but I can tell you this, I believe them to be true. With all my heart, I believe them to be true. Now, wait a minute. How in the world could Daniel go down into the lion's den and they wouldn't do that and all that? God is the God of creation. He's the one who made Daniel. He's the one who made the lions. He's over them. If he wants to stop their mouth, he can do it. You don't really believe that, do you? Yes. Why? It's in the Bible. Galatians 4 verse 6, it says, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Abba, it's an intimate word, kind of the concept of daddy. There's this relationship, this sweet relationship between the children of God and the God who has the children. Okay, God our Father. So he loves us and wants to bless us and have us succeed. Now, have us succeed in his view, okay? Again, we're not talking about becoming one of the rich and famous in this world. Go with me over to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. I can remember the first time these verses gripped me. It was such a blessing to see this and to bask in the sunlight and the, uh, the, the wonder of what it says. Joshua 1. You know the context. Joshua opens up. Moses has died. The mantle has been passed, been given now to Joshua. And God was obviously, he used Moses in a marvelous way. And we're still learning about that, aren't we, on Sunday nights? As we go through this series with Pastor Dave on the life of Moses. But here God is speaking to Joshua. Moses is off the scene now. Joshua is in charge of leading the children of Israel into the promised land. And it says in Joshua 1.5, This is God speaking to Joshua. Therefore, shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Watch this now. As I was with Moses. Was God with Moses? Whoa, was he with Moses? 
As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Now, folks, these things are put in the Bible for a reason. I believe there's a promise to claim. As God was with Moses, so he will be with me? Wait a minute. Really? What's the answer to that? Yes. Why? Refer to number one. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. God will be with me just like he will be with Moses. There's no respecter of persons. Now, is God going to use me the the same way? I mean, literally in the same way, leading people across the wilderness and all that? Well, probably not. But God says he wants to use me and he will use me and he will be with me just like he was with Moses. I don't know about you folks. I take great comfort and joy in that, knowing that, you know what? Just like God was close and strong on behalf of Moses, God will be close and strong on behalf of me as his child. Boy, God loves us. Are you getting it? God loves us. But that's not the end. Jump down to verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. That's, remember, number one, proper view of the Bible. Look at this. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. Here you go. That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. I believe the Bible's the word of God. I am going to live my life according to what this book says. I'm not going to turn to the right hand or to the left. God says, I'm not only going to be with you, you'll have good success. You're going to prosper. How's that for taking the worry out of your future while you're still here, I'm talking about? It's gone. I believe you, Lord. I know I've shared this before, but a pastor who's still pastoring down in P-H-A-R-R, Texas, Far Texas, Dr. Wally Murillo, Dr. Stanford's son-in-law. I can remember he came and he did devotions for us in the, in the dorm when I was in Bible college. I was just, I was a freshman. I didn't know much. Most of the kids in the college were two years younger than me, but I was there and I was willing to learn. And he gave, and every week, you know, there would be these dorm devotions. And so you go to a certain room and there'd be somebody there and he would lead like a half an hour Bible study or whatever. And we'd chalk, talk, and share back and forth and all that. And he talked about going to far Texas. There wasn't any ministry there. And him and his wife picked up and went there. They did not know anybody. They hardly had any money. There was no church there. There was no promised money. But they went on Matthew 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's what they went on. They're still there. Thousands upon thousands have trusted Christ the Savior through their ministry. There's people in the ministry today because of their faithfulness. God used them. And why? And I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, really? Wow. Boy, that sounds really neat. I mean, I hardly knew anything, but I thought, I like that. You just claim the promise and go. How's that for simple Christian living? Can I tell you it works? It works. And it not only works for Wally, it works for me, it works for you. Here it is. Observe to do according to all the law. Don't turn to the right or to the left. God says that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Takes us back to number one. 
proper view of the Bible. You're not going to meditate in a day and night unless you see how important it is for us. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Look at it. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. There it is again. And then thou shalt have what? Good success. Now this is according to God's values, not the world's values. And God could bless you with the world's values as far as uh, uh, wealth and income. There's nothing wrong with money. More about that on Sunday, by the way. In Timothy, our study, we're coming up on that. Verse 9, Have not I commanded thee, be thou strong and of good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. There's not a situation I face in life where God is not there. He is my loving Heavenly Father. He's going to take care of me. He speaks to me. I'm his son. He says, son, I'm going to bring you through this. You're going to make it through. I'm in this with you. I'm not pushing you out there saying, no, go ahead, get out there, and I'll watch, and I'll, do a, I'll, I'll score you, I'll evaluate. No, no, no. He goes with us. He goes with us. And he'll never leave us, and he'll never forsake us. God loves us, folks. Do you have a proper view of God? You might say, well, I was raised in an abusive home. That's really hard. I get that. I understand that. Can I tell you this, though? God will change your mind. God will change your thinking. You have to want it enough. You have to believe, number one, proper view of Scripture in order to get, number two, a proper view of God. But they do go hand in hand. Number three, a proper view of your life purpose. If number one is in play and number two is in play, number three is going to be much easier to embrace. A proper view of the Bible, a proper view of God, proper view of the Bible. It is right. It's always right. If I disagree with it, I am wrong. If anybody disagrees with it, they are wrong. God is always right. He can't make a mistake. And he's given me his word in a book. And that's where it begins. And through the pages of scripture is where you learn how God is. Not only as your God, but as your spiritual father. And the thinking And concepts change and grow and solidify. And we see the way we're supposed to see. A proper view of your life purpose. This is not something for us to define. God's already done it. And that's important. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. I came over, it's one of those, uh, as you dig, it's like God just gives you these little things, you're digging away, you're reading, you're studying, and the Lord goes, surprise! Something you didn't know. Don't you love those days? You know, it's the, they become your own, because you found them all by yourself. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you. Now, there's other people who knew this. It's just my problem is I didn't know it until today. It's through doing word studies. And by the way, I highly recommend you do word studies in Scripture. Now, the reason you keep discovering things is because there's lots of words in the Bible. How many words are in the Bible? You know, does anybody have a clue off the top of your head? Don't ask Google right now. Revelation 4, though, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure... They are and were created for thy pleasure. 
Now, I think the King James translators really spent a, a time on this, really thinking this through. Because this word for pleasure used in Revelation 4.11, the Greek word is used 64 times in the New Testament. And here's what I did not know. Out of the 64 times in the New Testament it is used, it is translated as the word will, 62 of the 64 times. And you might say, well, what's the significance of that? Let me reread this Bible verse and not do it any dishonor. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created it all things, and for thy will they are and were created, for God's will. Why was I created? I have been created to fulfill the will of God. I have been created for the will of God. Folks, listen, what am I saying? Your life has a purpose. You're not an accident, okay, like evolution teaches, like the public schools teach, and even some Christian colleges. You're not an accident. You have purpose. God is the one who created you, and he is the one who defines the purpose. Now, this is interesting as I look back in my own life. I was 19 years old when I put my faith in Christ as my Savior. I was in art college at the time. I was going to the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale. I was studying to be a commercial artist, and I was good with that. I had my plans, okay? I had my plans. I was going to graduate, and then they were vague. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but my goal was, okay, I'm going to graduate, as naive as I was, and I'm going to go to New York City and become a world-class, rich commercial artist, okay? I didn't think much about rich, couldn't comprehend that, but I, that's what I'm going to do. And you know what, folks? The night I got saved, the purpose of my life changed in my mind. I was done. I'm not interested in commercial art now that I'm saved. And there I was, less than two hours after I was saved, sitting at McDonald's eating, and the person I was with, I said to them, I said, you know what? I was thinking of Dr. Stanford, who gave the gospel that night, and I trusted Christ. I said, you know what? I don't understand it all, but that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. I was a brand new baby in Christ. But God had so impressed on my mind you have a new purpose for your life. You have been created for my pleasure. You have been created for my will. Not your will. You've been created for my will. Okay? Folks, we need to get a proper view of God's will or our life purpose. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says this, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel... Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. God has allowed us to be put in trust with the gospel. What is he looking for? He's simply looking for his children who will say, I believe your word, I know you love me, and I want to fulfill your purpose for my life. That's what I want. Folks, that is a matter simply of being faithful. Okay, I, I gave this illustration to our students yesterday and I know I've used this before, my favorite pen, okay, it's a Zebra F402. I know it sounds like a fighter jet, an F402. This is my favorite pen. It's a little bit more weighted than a regular Zebra, so it's a little nicer to hold in your hand. Now, I know I could get a Mont Blanc, or if, is that a pen, a Mont Blanc? 
real expensive and get this one, get that one. That's all fine. People want them, that's fine. But you know what? Something about this. You take it out of your pocket, you click it, and it works. You don't get a glob of ink. It doesn't skip. It just works. Oh, they can run out of ink, but then you just get another thing and you put it in there and off you go again. And you're good. You know what? This is the pen I'd rather use than any other pen. The reason? It's simple. Not because it's flashy looking, because it really isn't. You know, this black band, I wouldn't mind if they got rid of that. But anyways, it makes it easier to hold. It may not be the most beautiful looking pen, but it's a faithful pen. It is reliable. It is consistent. When I need a pen, I can pick it up and it does what it's supposed to do. It says, hey, I'm here. Go ahead. Use me. I want to be used. And so it's faithful. Therefore, that's the one I reach for. If I had a pen, you know what it's like. You go to places of business. They've got the jar and they've got 20 pens in there. And none of them work. You pick it up and you go like this and they just skip. And it's like, oh, this pen's out of ink. And they say, oh, okay, give it to me. And you give it to them and they put it back in the thing. (laughs) It's like, no thanks. I have places, I'll go places sometimes and they'll say, you need a pen? I said, no, I've got one of my own. You carry a pen? said, yep. And I pull it out and I click it and I write. Why? I can rely on it because it's faithful. Faithful to the purpose that it was created. We have been left here to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. There's nothing more thrilling than to represent him, to tell people about Christ, to share the gospel, plant some seeds, okay? Give out tracts, give out cards, invite people out, share the gospel with friends and loved ones. Isn't it interesting? 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 as I mentioned, as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Then, instead of 2.4, we've got 1 Corinthians 4.2. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2, going over to 1 Thessalonians 2.4. Kind of, you don't forget that when you link those two together that way, right, with those addresses. Now, I know the addresses came later, that they're not actually in the text. And I'm glad they put numbers and chapter divisions in our Bible. But folks, here's the point tonight. You want to make right decisions? Make your decisions based on Scripture, based on the fact God loves you, based on the fact that God has a purpose for your life. God is the one who defines the purpose. Find how do I fit into that purpose? What's my part in this that God wants me to fulfill? And then do that. And you know what? You'll never be steered wrong. You'll never end up in the wrong place. As long as we allow God, who loves us, who's our Father, who's given us His infallible Word, who's clearly defined our purpose, as long as we allow Him to make up the direction. Listen, I know I've already mentioned it, but if you've never put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, Trust in him as your savior tonight. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. That's why the whole reason he came to earth. He died there. He paid for all of our sins. He rose from the grave. All he's asking us to do is to believe, put our faith in him that he did that for us. Jesus said in John six forty seven. he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me has that moment, everlasting life. The moment you trust in Jesus Christ, 
He gives you as a gift everlasting life. If it's everlasting, it can never stop. That means once you're saved, you're saved forever. The moment you believe. So trust him if you haven't done that. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.